Now, I've entitled this lecture, Wisdom Applied, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. I read it as the conclusion of the morning service. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, But unto them which were called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Now, Goldsworthy's purpose, and, and it has been my purpose, I adopted his book because I adopt, I wanted to, to bring this purpose forward. Goldsworthy, his purpose in his book is to show the unity of all the scripture and I have emphasized this in every class. This has been the theme of this study to show the, 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 the unity of all the scripture by showing the centrality of the gospel. Well, Goldsworthy uses that and, and repeatedly talks about the centrality of the gospel. I prefer more specifically to talk about the centrality of the person of Christ, but of course, as it is revealed in the gospel, of course. So his purpose has been to show the unity of the scripture by showing the centrality throughout it all from beginning to end of Christ. Now in his trilogy, which we have before us, the second book, that second book we started into, of his trilogy, he further expands that theme by a treatment of the book of Revelation. Now he starts out that, and I, I read it to you, he starts that by saying that this was not intended to be a commentary on the book of Revelation. He's trying to hold to his theme, which is simply to show that all of Scripture from beginning to the end, that the centrality of them is, the, 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 sorry, the unity of them is seen in the centrality of the person of Christ. And so he expands that theme in his second book of this trilogy by his treatment of the book of Revelation. And uh, I certainly don't agree with a good number of his uh, suggested interpretations concerning the specifics of the book of Revelation. I do not agree with those. However, I do fully agree that one may go all the way to the book of Revelation and in the book of Revelation there also find that the, the, find the unity of the scripture which is that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Certainly, that emphasis I'm in full agreement with. 
And then, so I have really covered everything I want to out of that second book his of his trilogy. And I want to, to move on today to that third book where he further applies this principle by showing the centrality of Christ in the uh, what he calls the wisdom books. The wisdom books uh, of pay, uh, uh, the wisdom books uh, of the Bible. The, that is a specific category of books. If you look at the par- uh, second paragraph there on page 339, he says, so my concern is to look at the whole question of how a Christian may read and apply to himself as Christian scripture, and, and even by that expression, you, you see his, uh, his theme of the unity of <laughs> the scripture, Christian scripture, uh, how, how a Christian can apply to himself as Christian scripture, the books of Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and other parts of the Old Testament that we classify as wisdom's literature. He said, over the last 50 years or so, there has been a tremendous renewal of interest in the Old Testament wisdom on the part of biblical scholars. Unfortunately, not a lot has been done to translate the results of this scholarship into the language of the ordinary Christian untrained in the technical side of biblical studies. This book is intended as a contribution to that direction, to the direction of making it understandable to the common man how these these uh, wisdom books or wisdom literature applies to us. And I give it to you in a simple statement in my own words. Christ is the wisdom of God. I read you that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Christ is the wisdom of God. And all growth in wisdom is but growth in the knowledge of Christ and that from all the scriptures. All the scriptures. Uh, the, the horrendous effect of dispensationalism has one, one, one of the multitudes of horrendous effects of dispensationalism in this, in this generation and the past generation rather has been that it has severed the Christian from access to this wisdom literature because they have pronounced, of course, uh, they have pronounced officially that all of that Old Testament Bible is now obsolete, that it is has been uh, replaced, it was good for types and symbols, yes. And we can read about the types and symbols. We can read about some history of Israel if we want to. But all of that really has no practical application 
for us, says dispensationalism. And in dismissing that all of that Old Testament, one large chunk of glorious value they have dismissed is this that we he calls wisdom literature or the wisdom books. And the scripture clearly tells us in Proverbs 4, verse 7, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get wisdom. Well, wisdom may be gotten from these Old Testament books. And uh, this Old Testament literature, I say it one more time because it is the theme that I pressed. Christ is the wisdom of God. And all growth in wisdom is but growth in knowledge of Christ in the whole of Scripture. Right? We have equated in our technical and computer generation data. We have confused and convoluted data with wisdom. Knowledge. Knowledge. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Simple definition. I mean, most basic, basic definition one can have. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. One may have at your fingertips on a computer literally a world of facts. But that computer has no capacity to convey to you wisdom. How to use those facts wisely. Uh, so, but Christ is. Christ is the wisdom of God. And the whole of scripture reveals him. Now, in speaking of a wrong view of wisdom, a wrong view of wisdom. Goldsworthy speaks of decision making on page 338. One of the things we link with wisdom is the ability to make the right decision. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God and wisdom will be given to us, James 1.5. So we ask and we expect that God will in some way guide us and prevent us from making the kind of decisions that will backfire on us. James reminds us that we should ask God in faith. What exactly does that mean for the way we go about our decision making? From time to time, I've spoken to Christians who are convinced that the gift of wisdom means nothing less than God handing down to believers ready-cut solutions to all their problems. On first sight, that may be an attractive prospect. No more worries, right? No more weighing up all the pros and cons. No more agonizing over the possible outcomes of our choice of action. All we need to do is wait on God for his leading in the right decision. Just wait. We don't have to study. We don't have to pray. We don't have to pursue. Maybe we can pray, but we don't really have to do anything else. We'll just wait, and God will just break out of the heavens, and there it'll be. The question is, of course, does God promise any such thing? 
Is wisdom really a hotline to heaven? That's a pretty quaint expression, isn't it? Is wisdom really a hotline to heaven? And is God in the business of steering our lives like that? Unfortunately, when Christians come to this way of thinking, they often become impatient of careful study of the Bible. Isn't that right? <laughs> Boy, have we seen that. How many of us have not? I mean, we've all seen this. If you adopt that mindset, then inevitably a fruit of that is going to be that you become impatient with this whole issue of study. Because what do I need with that? I mean, God, I've got a hotline. <laughs> right? I don't need, I just, God needs to come down here and give me what I need. Here. Show me what I need. Unfortunately, when Christians come to this way of thinking, they often become impatient of careful study of the Bible. Their decisions are not made consciously on the basis of what the scriptures say and the principles they contain, but rather on the basis of some vague and subjective feeling about the Lord's will in the matter. I smiled to myself when I read that. thought about the old story. Teresa and I sometimes still use it kind of a joke between us uh, when we're determined we want to do a thing but we pretend to, to want to know the Lord's will it's a story about the young preacher who was pastoring a little country church barely surviving and big church in the city made him an offer and so he comes home and tells his wife he says honey we the Lord might be leading us to the to this other church I don't know, you pack while I go upstairs and pray. <laughs> I just, uh, sometimes we, we make decisions based on some vague and subjective feeling. The, the, young, the young preacher, he felt pretty good about this idea. <laughs> and so he proceeded on that, on that decision. But uh, that's often how it is. The Bible does say a great deal about Guidance and decision making. But I suspect that some popular notions about these important matters are not really based on scriptural evidence. Oh, certainly the Bible has a lot to say about decision making and the importance of decision making and seeking the Lord's guidance. But how do we expect that? Are we expecting that we're hooked up with some kind of Hotline to heaven, and he's going to come down and do this and do that. Uh, my wife and I wound up on the other side of this terrestrial ball by employing that method. Not a good idea. So that's a wrong view. But then he talks about a right on page 341, uh, a 
a right view at the bottom of page 341. He says the biblical concern for wisdom should be the concern of every Christian and not merely of those who might might we might class as intellectuals. A primary purpose of Israel's wisdom was for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Proverbs 1.4. There is never any suggestion in the Bible that wisdom means having an above average IQ. In the Old Testament, wisdom is not the property of some elite class, as it seemed to have been in some ancient, other ancient peoples, and I would add, and in some modern peoples. In the New Testament, it is asserted that wisdom belongs to all who believe the gospel. Now there's a right view of biblical wisdom and decision making. Further on that same note, page 343 toward the bottom, the person and work of Jesus provide us with the only reliable basis for understanding ourselves, our experience, and the world. Within that framework of understanding, we must seek to make our decision as responsible human beings. In our concern to build a right, the house of our life, we should remember that the foundation rock is the word of Christ. It is not a mysterious thing that is revealed to us in some secret experience of our hearts. It is there for us in the Bible. Now, that I think is a point worthy of emphasis. Wisdom is, we have said, Christ. The wisdom of God is altogether, altogether embodied in Christ. Christ received by faith makes every single believer equal in possession of the wisdom of God. It is not for some elite class who have access that others don't have. They have a, a higher security level pass. No, it's every single believer. Now, I read to you it is not a superior IQ. It is not a superior IQ. So what is wisdom from a biblical perspective if it's not an increased IQ? I give you the answer from the bottom of page 339. The word wisdom suggests a concern for the way we think. Now we could sit here, especially with the... <laughs> membership we have in this church, we could sit here and talk all day just about that single statement and just bring all kinds of wonderful thought to it. But let's just pass it, pass on with it. I'm sure we all agree. The word wisdom suggests a concern for the, the way we think. 
the way we use our minds or intellect. If that is what wisdom in the Bible is all about, then we have established an important, an important point. God gave us minds and he expects us to use them. We have only to look at the way that the New Testament speaks of the mind to be convinced of this. Paul, for example, links the renewal of the mind with the transformed life of the Christian in 12, Romans 12, 2. He reminds us that conversion includes the conversion of the mind. The Greek word for repentance literally means a change of mind. Furthermore, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it refers to the whole willing and thinking side of our being, as Brother John shared with us in the footnote of his reading at the lunch table. The heart in the scripture speaks of that whole willing and thinking side of our being. It is what goes on in the head. The fruit of the gospel in our lives includes, and this is, you need to put a star beside this, the fruit of the gospel, I'm on the top of page 340, the fruit of the gospel in our lives includes the conforming of our minds more and more to the mind of Christ. This process of becoming holy or sanctification is worked by the Holy Spirit dwelling within the believer. The Spirit works in and through us and thus we are consciously involved in the struggle to become more Christ-like and do good works. Carry that thought forward to page 342. To one person, wisdom is a property owner making a shrewd investment or a statesman whose political activities seem to pay off for the community in renewed prosperity. To another, it's the successful handling of the tricky business of the generation gap in family, families or the cool and effective management of a sudden crisis. To yet another, it's a monk or a mystic meditating in life and its meaning. Perhaps we can begin to understand wisdom as the reflective thinking which places human beings above animals. As Christians, we will need to approach all definitions with caution and be prepared to adjust them in the light of the Bible. In other words, here's all the, he's given you some examples of what others would say wisdom is. But he said we need to adjust our thinking on the subject to what the scripture says. In the Bible, the range of wisdom is no less perplexing. In one place, it is a proverb about an ant. In another, it's a sublime poem about the creator and his creation. It's a way of thinking and a way of doing. It's a way of teaching and a way of expressing ideas in writing. On the one hand, it is to know man and the world. And on the other, it is both the way to know God and the reward for knowing him. Then in the New Testament, there's a worldly wisdom, which is really foolishness, and there's God's true wisdom revealed in Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ is the fulfiller of the Old Testament, he alone can bring us to an understanding of the full meaning of the Old Testament wisdom books. Now, I want to say that same thing, and I know I'm reflecting what Goldsworthy holds, although he didn't say it right here, 
I am reflecting his view and my view. When I say to you, we can reverse that statement. He says, Jesus Christ, because he's the fulfiller of the Old Testament, he alone can bring understanding to the full meaning of those Old Testament wisdom books. But you can flip it right around and say it the other way. That if we are to have, if we have Jesus Christ, then we have access to all the wisdom that's in those books. Because he is the wisdom of God. And to be in Christ is to be in possession of that wisdom about which those books wrote. They were about him. There's the subject of unity. The continuity of the scriptures. Those wisdom books were writing about him. So when you possess him, you can have access to that wisdom. Now, a further enlargement of our topic is in of wisdom on page 340 at the bottom of the page. When we speak of a sanctified mind, many Christians will think exclusively of a morally pure mind. Conversely, a sinful mind will be thought of in terms of moral impurity. We need to broaden our understanding beyond just the moral dimensions. To think Christianly. I've never actually seen that word before. I put it in quotes. Christianly. I like that. To think Christianly with a sanctified mind is to think of reality in terms of the truth that is revealed in Christ. Now there is a maxim. Maxim that you can hang on the wall of your house and put it on your refrigerator. To think Christianly is to think of reality in terms of the truth that's revealed in Christ. A sinful mindset is one which views reality apart from what God has revealed. It may think high and noble thoughts of humanitarian kindness, but to the extent that the truth of God is left out of the reckoning, that mindset is sinful. The Christian mindset comes about through the gospel. And so we must come to think of Christian wisdom as a conforming of the mind to the gospel. If then we understand the gospel only in its basic terms of Jesus dying for us, we will probably wonder how this can affect the way we think totally. We need to remind ourselves that the simple gospel is also profound. The truth Jesus died for me, actually implies everything that God has revealed in the Bible about his relationship to humanity and the created order. That's a profound statement. That's a huge statement. I think it's a solid and biblical statement. The truth, that simple truth, Jesus died for me actually implies 
everything that God has revealed in the Bible about his relationship to humanity and his creation. Growing as a Christian really means learning to apply the fact of the gospel to every aspect of our thinking and doing. I think that's worthy. I think that's worthy of entertainment. In studying wisdom, the testaments are intrinsically linked. And that is my whole point. In studying wisdom, wisdom of the scripture, the wisdom of God, the testaments, old and new, are intrinsically linked. Page 343, top of the page. First, we want to see how the Old Testament increases our grasp of the New Testament message about Christ. Secondly, we apply our knowledge of Christ as the fulfiller in order to understand the real significance of the Old Testament. When we start with Christ in the Gospel and go back from there into the Old Testament, we find that the Old Testament eventually leads us back again to Christ. <laughs> he is, after all, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, Revelation 22, 13. I'll read that statement again. When we start with Christ in the gospel and go back from there into the Old Testament, we find that the Old Testament eventually leads us back again to Christ. And therein is the continuity, the unity of the whole. It's all about Christ. And to bar saints from this wisdom of God which is in Christ by some scheme of denominational thinking or sorry, uh, dispensational thinking by some scheme of dispensational thinking is to bar them from this whole, really the whole Old Testament, but he's specifically emphasizing to be barred from the wisdom books, the wisdom literature. You're robbed of all of that if you do not see the continuity and the unity of Scripture that is all about Christ. And so you can go backward, forward, any direction you want to go. It's all about Christ. And wisdom, wisdom is learning to apply. That's why I titled this lecture, Wisdom Applied. Wisdom is learning Christ and then learning to apply that knowledge to your thinking, and to your doing. Is that fair enough? Is that clear enough? Really simple. <laughs> but I'm afraid there's a lot of error out there. Okay. Comments or questions? Thank you about that statement. <clears throat> we're talking about the sanctified life. It says 
a sinful mindset is one viewed reality apart from what God has revealed. Yes. I think that I think that is a profound statement as well, and it goes back to the conversation we had earlier. Is exactly what we were seeing yesterday. Yeah. Exactly what we see so often among our family, among their souls. And it goes back to I think the whole issue here is the way in which they're not intentionally doing that, but it goes back to the way in which they think they are to gather their wisdom. And ultimately the foundation of that plot line heaven. Yes. As opposed to scripture itself. Exactly. 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 But it's but it's the laziness of our heart, of our of our nature, is it not? Because it's so much easier to to hope to access this hotline than it is to have to apply yourself with diligence and faithfulness and rigidity to study. It's just so much harder to do that <laughs> that we hope and imagine to have this hotline. And and many would even say that conformity to Christ they maybe they maybe would agree that that to know the mind of God you need to be more like Christ. But even that they would define being how to become more like Christ, they would define in existentialist terms, would they not? In terms of my experience. I can feel this and I can, I can do this more fervently or I can, it's, it's always about some kind of an experience. It's never back to the Word of God and study and understanding from the Word of God. It's always about some experience. So they would agree that to understand, to know the mind of God better is to know Christ better. But how do you do that? Then they'll put a spin on it. Well, you know, pray longer, spend more time on your knees, this, that, and other, all of which is a part of our sanctification, of course. But it's the knowledge of Christ. It's the knowledge of Christ. Well, where am I going to get that? In the Bible. In the Bible. What do you know about the Bible? And what it said. These things are unavoidably linked. These errors are linked with so much of what is amiss in our churches. Laziness of the mind. Any other comments or questions? Right.
Yes, sir. I was wondering about that when you were reading and, and talking there earlier at the table. That, that was the thought crossed my mind again. My wife and I, more frequently than I wish, have this conversation. Those that are so inextricably committed to that methodology, is it possible? They have true faith. Is it possible they don't have true faith? That they are not, in fact, real believers. They have been deluded. They've deluded themselves, and they've been deluded by false teachers to embrace a salvation that is not real salvation. There's the great fear that they don't have that fundamental element, which is God-given faith which is instilled at the new birth and they have traveled a great distance down a very very religious yes even pious road but they never had that first foundation laid faith in Christ because that is the platform from which everything else builds and we often discuss in when certain cases come before our minds, is it possible that they don't know Christ at all? Notwithstanding all their talk. I think we have to entertain that possibility because John is making a very strong point. It all starts with that infusion of divine faith, which is a divine operation. Starts there. And then it'll build from there. But you wonder if some people are building on something besides the rock. Well, it said it was a sinful mindset. And scripture does teach that those are those not faith. Is sin. That's right. That's right. clear to demonstration. And he said, Straight is the way, narrow is the way, and few will be the final. That's right. 
Yes. Yes, all true. Yes. Sure, sure. Wisdom less, let him ask of God, but give it to every man liberally and upbraideth not. All right, let's pray together. 